You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Plains Church in Castleton, North Dakota. This teaching is meant to encourage you in your faith, but not replace the preaching and accountability that should only come from your own local church. That said, we hope this sermon helps you know God more by simply listening to what He has to say in His Word. Well, good morning. Open your Bibles, if you would, with me uh, to 1 John chapter 3. Uh, We will be reading verses 10 through 24 this morning. And um, as you turn there, um, just a a little note, uh, we're reading a pretty big chunk of Scripture today, and uh, we will be talking about uh, missional and lifestyle, but I would like to point out that this is... um, this is a, ch- a portion of scripture that um, has recently uh, touched and impacted me, uh, and I wish I could take the time that is due to uh, go through all of it, but I think it would take me several weeks to talk through it all. So we will be jumping around uh, throughout the New Testament uh, this morning, um, but <clears throat> uh, the words will be up on the screen. Uh, but I just wanted to note that... Um, we won't be able to cover all the verses that I'll be reading from John this morning, but I will do my best to touch on some of them. But we have a big topic in front of us today, so uh, we will be jumping around, but the words will be on the screen um, as we jump through the New Testament this morning as well. Uh, but this will be our main passage for today. Um, so if you don't have a Bible, we would be happy to give you one. Need one? Uh, just go ahead and raise your hand. We'll make sure to get you one. Um, but... 1 John chapter 3, verses 10 through 24. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For it is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brothers righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our heart before him. For whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God and whatever we ask, we receive from him, but we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another, just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God, and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. 
So what is the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear the word mission? Is it perhaps Tom Cruise and his role in the movies uh, of Mission Impossible? Maybe perhaps you think of a spy uh, and going on a mission, or a spy taking a mission. Or perhaps even you thought of your job and the mission statement at your company. Maybe you thought of the military and the military missions. Perhaps even you thought of the church and missionaries, or maybe even a missions trip that you've taken. Our world is full of the term mission and its many uses. And that is what we will be talking about this morning as we wrap up our four-part sermon series on our distinctives. And the distinctive that we'll be talking about today is missional in lifestyle. Three weeks ago, Pastor Cody started this sermon series by preaching about our first distinctive, which is centered on the gospel. And then after that, two weeks ago, Pastor Joe preached on the distinctive anchored in truth. And last week, Philip took us through and taught us on the distinctive delighted in worship. And in this week, we'll be wrapping up our sermon series and again talking about missional and lifestyle. And so, as we look through this, we'll find that as the world thinks about the term mission, there's very many ways that the word is used. And we've already identified some of them. And we see it used in movies, in business, and in the military. And so as I was thinking about this, I thought, well, it would be a really good place to start to define the term. And so I went and I looked for a definition. And as I looked for this definition, this may surprise you, but I got many different answers. And so let's start with the Oxford Dictionary. The Oxford Dictionary defines the term mission as this, an important assignment carried out for political, religious, or commercial purposes, typically involving travel. Merriam-Webster Dictionary, however, provides a different definition, a specific task with which a person or group is charged. Well, now I have a problem. The dictionaries have failed me. So I thought then that I would approach the, the topic of defining mission from a different approach. So being a man who works in business, I work in the banking industry, um, I, I understand that I'm very familiar with, with the concept of mission statements. And I also have experience in understanding that mission statements and vision statements are actually different things. Uh, some of you might be familiar with this. And so I, I approached it from asking the question, well, what is the difference? And I looked for an answer. And uh, the company Atlassian provided me with the answer. And the answer that they gave is this. A mission statement defines the organization's business, its objectives, and how it will reach these objectives. Whereas a vision statement details where the organization aspires to go. And between these three so far, we at least have some common thread or theme uh, to the term mission. And that is that the term mission seems to be tied to an assignment task 
or objective that was mentioned in each of the three definitions. However, I still wasn't satisfied because there was so much disparity in the, in the definitions. And so I called a friend of mine who is an officer in the armed forces, and I asked him the same question that I asked you to open this morning, and that is, what is the first thing you think of when you hear the word mission? And here's what he said. Well, I'll actually put it on the screen behind you. A task or series of tasks issued to a member or unit from an approved or recognized authority with the intent of achieving a specific purpose in time and space. I want to read that again. A task or series of tasks issued to a member or unit from an approved or recognized authority with the intent of achieving a specific purpose in time and space. And when I heard this, I thought, ah, now we are getting somewhere. This seems to unite all of the other definitions, but with very specific and defined parameters. A very fitting definition for the term mission. And my friend was also very kind enough to take some time and walk me through this definition and explain it to me. He told me that the tasks have to be coordinated with other members or units in order to be effective in disrupting the adversary's goals or intentions, and that it's also very important to understand that things have to happen in a certain order in time and space in order to be effective. Events have to happen in a specific order at a certain time and in a certain location in order to be in line with the plan that is part of the mission. So let's keep that in mind as we continue today. But you can see from these definitions that our culture uses the term mission in many different ways. But that still leaves us with a very fundamental question. What does the Bible say our mission is as Christians and as a church? And I believe that answer lies in our text. But this is a very big topic. And so, like I said, we'll be moving around the New Testament quite a bit. But to start with, let's, let's look again at 1 John 3, 23 through 24. And so verse 23 starts, And this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. In these two verses, which is a summary of the entire chapter, John mentions the Trinity and gives us the mission of the church. And so this needs a lot of unpacking. So I will give you the outline for this morning from the start. We're going to unpack the, this by looking at the threefold mission of the church. And the first is to preach the gospel. The second part is to bring glory to God by keeping his commandments. And the third is to love God and love one another. So let's begin by talking about preach the gospel. 
in First John, in the First John verse, of course, it starts with believe in Jesus Christ. But if you would turn to your Bibles, please, to Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20. And while you turn there, I'd like to tell you about something interesting that has happened in our sermon series on the distinctive so far. You see, last week, Philip quoted or referenced Pastor Joe's sermon, and Pastor Joe, the week before, quoted Pastor Cody's sermon. And this morning, I have the pleasure of quoting and referencing all three of them as I wrap up our sermon series on the distinctive so far. But this wasn't something that was pre-planned. As each of us individually worked on our sermons, a certain theological consistency emerged. And that is just the nature of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is theologically consistent. And so while some of this might sound familiar as we go through it, I would really like you to focus on this because when God brings something up repeatedly, it usually means you really need to listen. So Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, th- go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." Now, when we think of the mission to preach the gospel, this is the first passage that comes to mind, and rightfully so. However, this is a much bigger mission than it would first seem. If you think back to the definition of mission that my friend gave me, this has all the elements of it. We have a series of tasks. Go, make disciples, baptize them, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them. It's issued to a unit. The disciples and all believers after them, it is from a recognized authority, Jesus Christ, who was given all authority in heaven and on earth, verse 19, with the intent of achieving a specific purpose to observe all that Jesus has commanded, and in time and space. So what is the space? Of all nations. And for how long are we supposed to do it? To the end of the age. This has all of the elements of the mission. And you may remember back to Pastor Cody's sermon, the first sermon in the series, when Pastor Cody talked about how we are centered on the gospel. He gave us four reasons why we are gospel-centered. The first reason he gave us is because God saves people with the gospel. And just as Pastor Cody brought us to Romans 10 three weeks ago, we must look there again today. Because any conversation about the mission of the church and the church's responsibility in preaching the gospel would be incomplete without looking at Romans 10. Because the Apostle Paul has some very important tasks for the church as it relates to the church's mission in preaching the gospel. So turn with me again, if you would, to Romans 10, 13 through 15. 
And there it says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Notice again here, we have a a specific series of tasks. But since Paul lays this out in the form of an argument, it can be a little bit harder to, to pull it out, so I find it a little easier to work backwards. But the church is tasked with sending preachers out who will preach the gospel so that unbelievers will hear the gospel so that they will believe in him of whom they have never heard, that is, Jesus Christ, so that upon believing, the unbelievers who now believe would call on him in whom they have never heard, that being Jesus Christ, or rather call on them in whom they have now believed, that being Jesus Christ, for salvation because everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So we do this because it is of first importance. Again, that is what Pastor Cody talked about in his sermon. Preaching the gospel is of first importance. All throughout the history of God's people, God has given people the mission to go and proclaim his word. Abraham, Moses, Isaiah, Jonah, Ezekiel, the disciples, Paul, and Christians ever since all received a command from God in some form that included the command to go. The mission of ours is an action mission. We cannot sit passively by and just wait for opportunities to share the gospel to just fall into our lap. We are commanded, both as individuals and as a church, to go and preach. And so we have to be action-oriented in this. This is our mission and our duty. And speaking of duty, last week, Philip, in his sermon talked about, when he was talking about the Great Commission, he did a wonderful job talking about how preaching the gospel and worship were connected, and that it is our duty to worship. And I would like to go back to what Philip said last week, and take a moment to highlight what he talked about as the final outcome of sharing the gospel. Philip reminded us that in John 4, 21 through 24, that the Father is seeking true worshipers. And how do we best worship God? By obeying God's commandments for worship, of course, by using the regulative principle, which is what Philip talked about last week. However, I would like to add to that by talking about another element, which Philip also talked about, and that is ascribing glory to God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The ultimate end state of every believer is to be conformed to the image of Christ. 
to be glorified, not by man's power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, by the glory, or by, by the grace of God the Father. By the obedience we show through the sanctification as we work through our faith, which again is empowered by the Holy Spirit, we bring glory to God. And so this brings us on to our second part of the threefold mission of the church. So we preach the gospel first, and then the second part of the mission is to bring glory to God by keeping his commandments. And so when we preach the gospel because it is of first importance, and part of the Great Commission, though, is, to, is teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, which one of the many commandments of the scriptures is to worship God and give glory to God in all that we do. So if we go back to 1 John 3 and look at verse 10, it says, By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So notice a couple of things about this, about this verse. The phrase, by this, is used four times in verses 10 through 24. And every time it's purpose. It's saying that this is how you will know. Also notice the word love, which is used eight times in verses 10 through 24, Nine, if you count the word beloved. So let's break this down. Let's break this verse down a little bit, and we'll start with, by this it is evident. So by what is what evident? What, what, it, what it is and what is it that we will know? So the verse tells us, you will know who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil? And how will we know them? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. That's what it says. You will know who is of God and who is of the, of the devil by whether or not they practice righteousness and whether or not they love other Christians. And at this moment, you might be thinking that it is a bit presumptuous of me to say that we can know who the believers are and who the believers aren't. And while we can never know the true heart condition of someone, we can find evidences. And so let's look at some more scriptures. First, let's look down in verses 22 through 24 of the same chapter. And whatever we ask... We receive from him because we keep his commandments and we do what pleases him. And this is his commandment that we believe in the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. 
And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. So then let's look at the book of John, verses 14, or chapter 14, verses 15 through 17. And there Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Pastor Joe talked about this very topic as well in his sermon on the distinctive of Anchored in Truth. And here in John 14, Jesus calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Truth. And as Pastor Joe taught us, the Holy Spirit is the inspiration for and the illumination of truth. And I echo his point from two weeks ago in that we must be anchored into the truth if we are to be obedient to God. If you claim to love Jesus Christ, to love God, to have the Holy Spirit, if you claim to be a Christian, then you will keep Jesus' commandments. It is not an option. It is part of the mission of the Christian and part of the mission of the church. It is, in fact, how you can tell the difference between a believer and a non-believer. Paul also speaks of this in Galatians 3, 25-28. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. For there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And going a little bit forward in Galatians into chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more. Paul talks of this concept of putting on Christ at the time of our salvation. Part of being saved is receiving a new heart, a heart that is brought to life by the Holy Spirit. And when we receive that new heart from the Holy Spirit, we are regenerated. By putting on Christ, we put on Christ's righteousness. And that is what begins to allow the believer to love Jesus Christ and to keep his commandments. It's important to stress here that this obedience to Jesus Christ and to his commandments comes after salvation, through faith alone, by grace alone, in Christ alone. After receiving such a marvelous gift of salvation, how then can we turn our back on Christ and turn to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? 
coming back to the mission, I'd like to point, or I'd like to provide just a real-world example, a, a, a visual example of this. Picture, if you would, for a moment, two men walking down the street. One is dressed in flip-flops, jean shorts, and a t-shirt displaying uh, their favorite sports team. The other man is dressed in military operational camouflage. Which of these two men do you think is on a mission? You see, both of those men had to get dressed that day. One of them put on a military uniform that says to the world that they have a job that is on the mission. The civilian man put on clothes that said that they were comfortable for the day. What each of these two men put on communicates a lot about the mission that they are on for the day. The same is true for the Christian. Each day we make a choice to put on Christ or to put on the world. If you put on the world, you can't be on the mission of the church. If you go on sinning or you put on works of the flesh, you can't bring glory to God. However, if you put on Christ and you put on the works of the Spirit, you bring glory to God. Just as Galatians 5, 19 through 24 says, now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these, I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So which will it be for you today, Christian? Will you put on Christ? Will you practice righteousness so that it is evident that you are a child of God and not of the devil? Will you bring glory to God by keeping his commandments? Will you communicate to the world that you are on mission for the church? This is the mission that we are called to. Will you answer it? If so, you will need help from the local body of believers. And this brings us to the third and final part of the three-part mission of the church. So we have preached the gospel, bringing glory to God by keeping his commandments. And the third part of the mission is love God and love one another. And so if we go back to 1 John 3, and we look again at verses 10, but we continue in verse 11. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. So we have second part of how we can know if someone is truly a believer, and that is that they love the, their brother, that is, their fellow Christian. 
Then in verse 11, we have the command to love one another. And it's not just any command, but John says, this is what you have heard from the beginning. And John really keys off on this command because throughout the rest of the chapter, this is the theme that that flows through all the verses. But what does John mean when he says that which you have heard from the beginning? Well, what John is saying to the people that he wrote this letter to is that from the very beginning of time, or from, from the time that they became Christians, that is what they have been taught. But so where did this teaching come from? Well, the teaching came from John 13, verses 34 through 35, where Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Now, just a little note here, the new part of that commandment is the part that says, as, just as I have loved you. And we'll get to that in just a moment. But also, just Two, more, two chapters over in John 15, verses 12 through 17, Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends, if you do what I commanded you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go bear fruit and that your fruit should abide, so that whatever the, you ask the father in my name, you, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another." And this is where John got the commandment to love one another. And I dare say that it changed John's life. Just look at 1 John 3.16. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Notice again, John using the phrase, by this we know, John is saying, this is how you will know. And what is it that we will know? We will know love. And how will we know love? We will know love by that he laid down his life for us. So we will know love because Jesus died for us. And what is it that we should do with this knowledge of love that we have? We should lay down our lives for our fellow Christians. The words that Jesus spoke in John 15, 13 pierced John's soul, and he then echoes the command for the rest of us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Yet the Holy Spirit is so consistent that this is not the only place in scriptures that the command to love one another is mentioned. It goes all the way back to Leviticus. In chapter 19, 18, it says, 
You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. In fact, Jesus referenced that very verse when the Pharisees tried to trap him by asking him, what is the greatest commandment? In Matthew 22, 36 through 40, when asked, teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. The command to love one another is not just a novel command given by Jesus that the Apostle John became fixated on and wrote about in his epistle. But in fact, it is the second greatest commandment and part of the very ethos of the mission of the church. And this is why it is, part, it is the third part of the threefold mission of the church, to love God and to love one another. Because those are the two greatest commandments upon which all others are built and depend. And so, there we have it. The threefold mission of the church. Preach the gospel, bring glory to God by keeping his commandments, and love God and love one another. However, before we close, I would like to spend some time talking about how do we apply this mission at Harvest Plains Church. And so, to do that, I'd like to start by reading the distinctive missional and lifestyle. We believe that every Christian is called to be part of God's mission in the local church, of making and maturing disciples of Jesus Christ who make and mature disciples of Jesus Christ. This means glorifying God in everything we do, proclaiming the gospel to everyone we can, and intentionally caring for one another in a loving community where Christians pray for one another, speak the truth and love to one another, and serve one another, and encourage one another in Christ. You'll notice a few things in that distinctive, some that we have already talked about, making and maturing disciples of Jesus Christ, glorifying God in everything we do, proclaiming the gospel to everyone we can, and intentionally caring for one another in a loving community. But then it starts to talk about things like praying for one another, speaking truth and love to one another, and encouraging one another, and we haven't talked about those things yet. In fact, there are over 50 commands in the New Testament that have the word one another with them, 14 of which are love, or some version of love, such as keep love for or abound in love for one another. And I want to call out some of those other ones here, and we'll list those on the screen. So we have love one another. Um, in John 13, 43, John 15, 12, 1 John 3, 11, 1 Peter 1, 2, and others. Show hospitality to one another in 1 Peter 4, 9. Serve one another in 1 Peter 4, 10. Be kind to one another in Ephesians 4, 32. 
We have the command to teach, instruct, and admonish another in Colossians 3.16. Some of these are in others, and I just listed one of the verses. We have the command to speak the truth in love to one another in Ephesians 4.25. From our scripture reading this morning, which DJ did a wonderful job with, thank you, DJ, we have the command to confess your sins to one another in James 5.16. We have the command to forgive one another in Ephesians 4.32. We have the command to bear one another's burdens in Galatians 6.2, to comfort one another in 2 Corinthians 13.11, pray for one another, again from our scripture reading in James 5.16, encourage, esteem, and edify one another that's uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5.11. I believe that's encourage. Be at peace with one another and live in harmony with one another. Be at peace with is in Mark 9.50 and live in harmony with one another is in Romans 12.16. These are just some of the one another's that are commanded in the New Testament. I selected these because they are those that are mentioned in the distinctives, but also they are the ones that are practically lived out by participating in life groups. And in life groups, we have the opportunity to meet together each week, uh, and by gathering together, we can live out the very things on this list. We can discuss the word each week, we can discuss what is happening in our lives and in our walks with Christ. And by doing this, we build relationships with one another and grow in love for one another. Over the past two years, the kindness and love that I have experienced from my own life group has been incredible. And also, though, the truth that they have spoken to me, uh, the advice that I have received from them, and at times, even the admonishment that I have received from them has been good for my soul and has been very welcome. I have seen both my life group and the other life groups at this church serve the members of this body in times of deep distress and pain, comforting each other and bearing each other's burdens. And I don't say this to give a list of accomplishments for the sake of human pride, but rather to praise God for the gifts of his love that he has given us and to thank God that he has provided uh, this church with, the, with a body of believers that cares for and loves one another and is willing to display God's love for his people and also that are willing to obey his commandments in this area. But also for anybody who isn't a part of a life group and who may be struggling to engage with obeying the one another's uh, tell you that there is an avenue of opportunity that you can get engaged with and if you, you would like to participate in a life group talk to Philip myself or one of the other life group leaders to get involved and finally as we talk about how to apply the mission of the church at Harvest Plains I would like to read for you the Harvest Plains mission statement helping others learn about God love him and others, 
and live for his glory. Now that sounds really close to the threefold mission of the church. It's the gospel, help others learn about God, live for his glory, bring, bring glory to God by keeping his commandments, and love him and others, love God and one another. So how do we do it? Quite simply, we preach the gospel, we teach sound doctrine, we typically preach verse by verse through a book of the Bible, such as our Matthew sermon series. We hold small groups consisting of life groups, theology studies, and Bible studies throughout the week. And we do the best we can to keep the commandments of God in order to bring glory. Everything we do and every decision we make, whether that be our Sunday morning liturgy, our, the ministries that we develop throughout the week, we, we try our best to put through the lens of preaching the gospel, teaching sound doctrine, and bringing glory to God and loving one another. If we don't do these things well, then we are not accomplishing the mission of the church. In closing, I'd like to read uh, from Galatians 6, 1 through 10. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too should be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in him or will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let us never grow weary of doing good, especially to our fellow believers. And to those of you here today, or listening at home, who may not be believers, hear the words that the scriptures say. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For, whoever, for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. You have the opportunity right now to come to Jesus Christ to obtain eternal life. Everyone has sinned. Everyone has failed to obey the commandments of God and to give proper glory to God. However, Jesus Christ came to this earth. He lived a perfect life, and he died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. He was buried, and on three days later, he rose from the dead again to new life. He did that so that you could call out to him for salvation, so that you could ask him for forgiveness of your sins and name him Lord of your life. If you do so, you can start to live a new life on mission for God. 
Thank you so much for listening. We hope this sermon encourages you as you go about your week. If you're in Castleton or even the Fargo-Moorhead area, come check us out. Our website is harvestplainschurch.org. That's harvestplainschurch.org. Thanks again, and we hope you'll tune in next week.